0: When you woke up this morning, okay? Everyone woke up this morning? (laughs) Okay, when you woke up this morning, you rolled out of bed. What if someone was right there the moment you rolled out of bed and they asked you this question What's the most important thing you've got accomplished today? What's the most important thing you have to get done today? What would you have said? Just think in your mind. figure out what you would have said to that person. I mean, first they shouldn't have been in your bedroom, but you know, it, it, you know what you would have said to that person. It's like, get out of here. Um, <laughs> no, but, but what you would have said, this is the most important thing for me to do today. You see, I, I've been thinking about this question all week and, and I, I believe, I, I know what, what the most important thing for me to do as a human being here on the earth was the most important thing I need to do today and I believe it's this, I need to tell God how thankful I am for what he did on the cross. I, I believe the most important thing we as human beings can do each day is to somehow get alone with our creator, come before the creator, and seriously, just to tell him, as we're on this little planet, I mean, what, what's, what's important for us to do? Oh, I gotta finish this task at work, I gotta do that. No, 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 it's to come before the God who made all of this and say, you know what? Thank you thank you because uh, thank you that I'm alive right now and I can even say these words thank you that 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 you sent your son to die I mean you had your son come down here take the former man and die on a cross and he was punished for everything I did wrong otherwise I would have to face your wrath at the end of my life I'd be punished for all these things but because of what he did on the cross man I, I I'm just so grateful so grateful because he paid for my crimes I mean, really, try to think. Think all week. Is there anything a human being can do that is more important or significant than that? See, I've been racking my brain thinking, okay, well, maybe it's telling other people about Jesus. Maybe it's living a holy life. Maybe it's this, maybe that. I just go, you know, this is the most important thing because at the moment, a person says that for the first time and really means it, that's the moment when a person for the first time really comes before Almighty God and tells him, Thank you for dying on the cross for me. At that moment, the Bible says, That's when you are no longer under the wrath of God. You no longer have to pay for everything you've done wrong, but you believe that God loved you so much that, that He sent His Son to pay for it. I mean, at that moment, you come from under God's wrath to becoming a child of God. I mean, it's, it's the most important moment of your life. It really is. The most important moment of your life is that moment when you thank God, you yourself really mean it, and you thank God for what he did on the cross. There's nothing more important than that. And, and, and I, I'm not talking about just kind of casually throwing some words up there because I do that. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll pray and I'm not really even thinking about God, but I want to be focused. You know, the Bible, it talks about in 1 uh, in, in, in Peter, it uses the word when we pray that, that we should be sober-minded for the purpose of prayer. I think it's 1 Peter 4, 7. To be sober-minded. And the word sober-minded means the opposite of drunk. Okay, it's literally not drunk is what the word is in the Greek. The opposite of drunk, which is just totally clear-minded. Nothing fogging me, nothing distracting me. In Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about prayer, it, talks about, it uses a word and, and it's alert. It says you you should be alert for the purpose of praying at all times. And the word alert in the Greek, it actually is the word not asleep. The opposite of sleeping, meaning you're just awake, you're just wired. You know, and it uses these, you know, the opposite of drunk is how you should be when you're praying. The opposite of asleep is what you should be when you're praying. So to me, it's like, okay, I'm just fully alert, wired, focused, nothing else in my mind when I'm talking to God. You see, we think about that for other things, like, oh, I gotta be alert for this, you know, I got a big exam coming, or I've got a big job to do, or, you know, I've got a competition, I wanna be alert, I wanna be focused, and the Bible uses those words for the sake of prayer. That when you pray, man, it's work. It's work to get to that point. Because a lot of times, we don't get there. You know, we just say a bunch of words. Even this week, I had the intention, I, you know, a couple times where I, I said, okay, I gotta carve out some time and I gotta just get focused in prayer so I'm really connecting with God not just throwing up a bunch of words and I remember just getting alone a couple of times and going okay okay just me and God just God and I just God and I just God and I and 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 so many thoughts were just bombarding my mind you know with problems issues I had to deal with things I had to get done and I I just I never got there you know I never got to that point you know what I'm talking about where you're just totally focused absolutely focused you see, I, I think it's the most important thing we could do. You know, we, I was talking to some people last week after that time we had here, you know, of just worship, and after we talked about the cross, from the video, and, you know, we were all just so moved, and, and a couple people said to me, they go, you know, the only bummer about the service was it was so short it was just over, and I felt like I was just starting to connect with God, and and, and one of the people on the worship team said, yeah, you know, after service, I just wanted to go crawl in a cave, you know, and just be alone, and just thank God for hours, because I was just so focused, and I was like, you know, sometimes even in service, we rush through so many things, you know, and and not give us time to just be alert, and focused, and, and worship God with all of our hearts, and and I want to do that today. We want to give you some room, some, some time to really just thank God because I, I don't believe there is anything more significant that we can do. You know, I, I was at this um, prayer meeting one time at a church, and uh, I was sitting next to the pastor of the church, and someone got up to pray, and when the person was done praying, the pastor whispers in my ear and goes, well, that prayer didn't clear the ceiling What? You know, I mean, the whole point was he, I don't know if he just thought it was fake or, you know, he knew, you know, some hypocrisy in the person's life. But that statement, you know, where I thought, that's kind of weird that you would say that to me. But that statement stuck in my head because I love that phrase. That prayer didn't clear the ceiling. Think about that. And and I think about it because I, I, I thought, you know, I wonder how many times my prayers never cleared the ceiling. You know, because I wasn't really focused on God. I was just saying a bunch of words. You know, people just kind of casually, you know, with a, kind of a foggy brain, oh God, and then, and then we go, oh, I prayed. I prayed about it, nothing happened. So, like, did you really pray? I mean, how often do you really just, just go, okay, here I am. You know what helps me is as I think about the world, I always, I always picture the globe, and I think about myself here, you know, little California, this tiny speck here, and, and how Isaiah 40 says, you know, that there's this God who sits above the vault of the earth. And, and I stop and I think, gosh, who am I on this little speck on that planet? And I'm about to speak to the God who sits above the earth. And I try to focus and I think, man, there's this being up there, you know, on his throne and the lightning, the thunder, the angels and all worshiping him. And, and I'm now on this little planet speaking to him going, God. I can't believe you watched your son suffer for me. I can't believe you would call me your your own child because I can't believe you wiped away all the junk in my life. And to really connect, man, when I do it, I realize, man, there's nothing else I want to be doing at this moment. Nothing compares. I mean, when you picture prayer that way, and you think, I'm communicating to the creator of all of this. Really, what else in life compares to that? Seriously, what on this earth can you do? Go, oh, no, I think this is more important to do. This, 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 No, you're speaking to the God of the universe. You're thanking him for the most important thing in your life, the fact that you should be suffering right now. You should be punished for everything you did wrong, and he took that for you. There's no greater thing you can do than to focus on him. And that's why we want to extend this series on the cross and spend more time focusing on the cross and just keep worshiping God. I want God, when he looks down at Simi Valley and sees Cornerstone Church, he doesn't see a bunch of people that are just kind of half-heartedly listening to a sermon, but people that are looking at him and saying, God, with all of my heart, with all the attention and alertness and awakeness and focus, I'm telling you, you're amazing and I love you. And, and when you start thinking that way and praying that way, you, you, you almost get frustrated with the other things that cloud your mind, you know? Because you go, why do I even think about that other stuff? Amen. Why, why do I even think about other things? There's nothing worthy of, this, of my mind compared to God. And you know, I, another thing I was thinking about is how God knows my every thought. You know how Psalm 139 talks about God even knows my thoughts. And I think, God, what do you see when you look down on the earth and you see what I think about? You see so many things that aren't worthy, you know, that I, I just waste my time thinking about. And I, in my mind, I think, you know, God looking down as the world's spinning. And, you know, what, what's Francis thinking? You know, golf, surfing, sushi. You know, it's just, what, what is he? What's on his mind? It's like every time it goes around, oh, now he's thinking about that. It's like, I, I want to, I know that's not how it works. I know how the world spins. But anyways, it, it's the whole idea of, man, God, I want to be a person on this planet that every day I can get focused on you and tell you what matters Um, because so much of what we do and we think about really doesn't matter, right? But they become so big to us at the moment. You know, we care about it so much and yet when we focus on the cross, it seems like everything else just kind of pales in comparison. Anyways, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 23. And we'll just pick up the story. And I want to go through this pretty quickly and and leave some time for worship. Luke 23, verse 13 says, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He's done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll punish him and release him. Okay, remember the story so far. They arrest Jesus, right? They take him before this Jewish council, you know, and the Jewish council says, okay, he's guilty, let's take him to Pilate, the Roman governor. The Roman governor tries Jesus, you know, puts him on trial and goes, he's innocent. And the people are like, no, you know, this man had all these problems ever since Galilee. And he goes, oh, Galilee, you know what? That's not my jurisdiction. We'll send him to Herod. He goes, I think he's innocent, but let's send him to Herod. You know, so after they beat him, mock him, blindfold him, you know, we talked about that. They send him over to Herod. King Herod observes Jesus and goes, there's nothing wrong with this guy. I want him to perform some miracles, do some tricks. He wouldn't do it. But you know what I'll do? I'll I'll put a little purple robe on him and go, oh, okay, you're the king. You know, let's mock him and we'll send him back and all this will be funny. Pilate will see him in the purple robe, everything else. He sends him back to Pilate, and that's where we pick up the story. Pilate goes, look, what do you guys want me to do? I already tried him. I told you he's innocent. I sent him to Herod. Herod said he's innocent. I'm looking at him again going, yep, yeah, he's still innocent. He goes, this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll take him out back. I'll beat the heck out of him, and I'll bring him back out. You know, and then we'll let him go. And so he has him flogged. John explains that, that in this process, you know, if you read the Gospel of John, that Pilate actually has Jesus flogged. That's where they, you know, they take that whip, you know, with all the sharp, you know, objects on it and tear into his skin and just, just, Tear him apart, mutilate him. And then he brings him back before the people. And Pilate's whole hope is, okay, the people will see this guy who's barely alive, just walking around, the flesh torn off of him. And they'll look and go, you know what? Okay, that's enough. But that's not what the people do. Pilate goes through that. And in verse 18, it says, with one voice, they cried out, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Now that seems out of place unless you read the other gospels. Well, the reason why they're screaming for Barabbas is there was a tradition because there was a Passover feast. During the Passover feast, the, the Roman government would release one of the people that they had imprisoned you know, back to the people. It was just something they did during Passover. Whether it was a Jewish custom or Roman custom, no one really knows, we just know it happened. And so what Pilate is doing, because remember, he knows Jesus is innocent. He wants him free. The whole idea here is he's saying, look, it's Passover anyways, and we need to release a prisoner. So you know what? I already beat him up. You know, let's, let's just let him go. And the people said, no, no, no. We'll have none of that. Release Barabbas. Barabbas was a guy who had committed murder. They're saying, we'd rather have him free than Jesus. Go, go, go take Jesus away. Then, then the story goes on, verse 20. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And for the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and then release him. Okay, so here your Pilate again is appealing to him. And he says, for the third time, he's saying, just, let this guy go, I'll punish him again. You know, just, just let him go. And they're screaming for his crucifixion. Now, why is Pilate fighting so hard? I, I think one is his conscience. He knows this guy's innocent. And it seems like Pilate has some sort of conscience that I, I, I should let this guy go. But also, if you read the gospel account in Matthew, in Matthew 27, I believe around verse 19, he uh, it, it talks about how... um. Pilate's wife, while while Pilate's sitting there in the judge's seat, Pilate's wife sends him a message and the message is this, have nothing to do with that innocent man. I've been tormented in my dreams because of him. So now he gets a message from his wife that is saying that she supernaturally is hearing from God and is even tormenting her the fact that this is an innocent man and she's warning Pilate, this guy's innocent, you better have nothing to do with him because something supernatural is going on here to even where I'm being warned in my dreams, so you better not be guilty of this guy. So, so imagine, you're, you're Pilate, you're hearing all this stuff, you're feeling this stuff, you know he's innocent, and now you know that your wife's getting these supernatural you know, callings and visions from God warning against judging him. And, and that's why he keeps trying to release him. Verse verse 23, it says, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. So Pilate, after they keep screaming for his crucifixion, he just gives up and says, okay, fine. Go crucify him and I'll let you have Barabbas. Ah, sad, isn't it? And, and yet the story of Pilate, I believe, is a story of so many people I know where in your heart, and maybe even some of you in this room, you know the right thing to do. Supernaturally, God's shown you what you ought to be doing in your life. But you've got this mob of voices telling you to sin against God. You've got this mob of temptations telling you to sin against God. You've got your own flesh. You have friends that are telling you. But in your heart, you know what God wants you to do. And like Pilate, many people on this earth, they're going to give in to the mob. They're going to give in to the temptation, even though in your heart, you know what's right. And you know what? That's a sad, sad story. Just like it was a sad story for Pilate. And, and, and Matthew tells us that one other thing, you know, at the end of it, after Pilate just gives up and says, okay, you know what? I, I can't handle the pressure. Go do it. Um, it says that he took this bowl of water and he washes his hands in front of the crowd so as to say, look, I'm innocent of this man's blood. This wasn't my decision, even though it was. He's trying to come up with some way to not be guilty. He's, oh, maybe if I wash my hands publicly to say, I didn't really want this, but I'm not going to fight against it either. I'm washing my hands. I have nothing to do with it. I'm an innocent party. I'm just a neutral party. And uh, as he said that, the crowd responds, his blood be on us and on our children. Imagine that. Imagine being God hearing that and this mom of people being so angry at his son that they say, you know what, we'll take, we'll take full blame for it. And so will my kids. Oh, that's, that's one of the most awful statements that's, that's ever made in Scripture, uh, I think. But, you know, Pilate's there trying to just say, well, it had nothing to do with me, which I hear that excuse all the time. People go, well, you know, it's just the temptation. You know, all this stuff was in my face and all this. No, all the way through, you knew what was right. You heard the voice of God and you chose to deny it. You sinned. Is your issue. Anyways, Pilate tries to, to wash it off, and I think about God seeing this whole thing in his patience. Uh, the story goes on, verse 26. It says, as they led him away, they seized Simon from Serene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you'll say, Blessed are the barren women the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they'll say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry?" because you got the picture this is the last thing we'll look at today Jesus is walking to the cross and, and because you know he's been beaten so bad he can't even carry this thing anymore so they grab this guy Simon who would just have me walking and go hey you carry the cross as they're walking Simon's behind him but he says there's this entourage of these women who are weeping and wailing just screaming out just crying you know because they're seeing what's happened to Jesus they know he's about to be crucified and they're weeping and Jesus turns and looks at all these women weeping he goes you know what Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Because you know what's going to happen here in Jerusalem? Remember Jesus prophesied? You know, a few weeks ago we talked about this, when Jesus prophesied what was going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. Nod your head if you remember that. Okay, Remember, we're alert, we're focused. You know, just, you know, we're awake. You know, remember Jesus said, he prophesied, he goes, hey, when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, you better get out of here because the wrath of God's gonna fall on this place. And he prophesied and that's exactly what happened in AD 70, you know, with the Roman Empire. Well, well, Jesus here as he's heading to the cross and they're all weeping, he goes, you know what? If they're doing this when the tree's green, wait till when it's dry. What's he talking about? The tree of green, I believe he's talking about Jerusalem, saying right now, you're in Jerusalem, it's a time of peace and look at what they're doing to this innocent man. Imagine what it's gonna be during the time of war that I prophesied, and God pours his wrath out on people who are actually guilty. That's gonna be an ugly, ugly scene. And he says, so what I'm going through, yeah, it's awful, it's painful. Remember, I, I sweat drops of blood, you know. This is, this is pain, but if you wanna weep, you should weep for yourselves, because, you know, in that day, when God pours his wrath out, you're gonna wish you didn't even have kids, you know, usually the barren woman was, was, uh, was a sad thing in the Bible. And he says, here, in this instance, if you don't have kids, man, praise God. Because imagine going through this torture you're going to go through. What's worse is your kids are going to go through it. And, uh, you know, so this whole thing's going on. And, but I do want to spend a second on this because this is an important phrase. When Jesus says, don't cry for me, cry for yourself. Why did God in heaven, send his son down on this earth. What was he saving us from? The answer to that is he was saving us from himself. He was saving us from his own wrath. God knew, God in heaven knew how awful his wrath was. We don't. And he didn't want us to go through it. And he says, they don't, I, I, I have to punish this crime. And so I'll have my son die for it and pour my wrath out on him so that you don't have to experience it. Jesus knew how awful the wrath of the father was. And he says, I don't want them to go through. That's why here he's saying, don't cry for me. I know what you guys are getting. You daughters of Jerusalem. have disobeyed me and haven't followed me you shouldn't be crying for me you should be crying for yourself because you wait till you see the wrath of god it was a warning to them it was out of love for them and and i I just got to say you know we're going to have a time of worship in a little bit here and i know when we talk about the cross man even even people like these women that are following jesus when you see someone go through all that you just weep for them period Right? I mean, whether you believe in him or not. I mean, anyone that watches the Passion gets teary-eyed. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you get teary-eyed. And Jesus' message to you who don't believe in Jesus is going, man, don't cry for me. You should see what's coming to you. You think this cross, you think this is awful? You, you underestimate the wrath of God. And, and I, I just say that to you today. For those of you who you haven't trusted What Jesus did on the cross and you sit here arrogantly going, no, I'm a good person. I've done good things and God's going to let me in. You know what? Don't weep for Jesus. Weep for yourself. Because the truth is, is you have broken his commands. And I don't know what you picture when you think of God, that he's some little weakling up in heaven that would never punish anyone. That's not what he says about himself. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, you don't know the wrath of my father then. But he came to save us of all of that. And so as we, as the rest of us, focus on the cross, we may take of communion, we may just worship him for it. You know, for those who have never accepted him, man, don't weep for Jesus. Honestly, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And I, I, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that arrogantly. I say that with a ton of pain. Man, I, I would absolutely hate to be in your shoes. Look, we've all messed up. And we've got to stand before a God who hates that sin. But it's a God who loves us and saying, look, I'm giving you a way out here. If you believe in what my son did for you, then you don't have to go through it yourself. And if you're gonna choose and say, well, I don't need that, I'll take it on myself, I just go, oh, don't say that, don't do that. That's the saddest thing you could do on this planet. So as a worship team comes up here and, and leads us, I'm gonna be over here by the prayer room and, and man, if any of you have questions, uh, you know, I had a guy just even last service just go, man, I, I don't believe any of this stuff. I, 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 I want to, if this is true, I gotta believe it, I give my whole life to it, I'm just telling you, I don't right now, help me out. It's like, great, let's sit, let's talk. But don't leave here being uncertain about this thing. The rest of us, as we worship, man, do it with focus. Be alert. You know, don't, don't just, as God looks at the world and sees us here in Simi Valley a Cornerstone, may He see just a bunch of people that are totally focused on Him, clearing our mind of everything else and just thanking Him for the cross.